1: Given that the Gators were 4-7 and seven and hanging out at home with their families at this time a year ago, it's a testament to the job that Dan Mullen has done that they're in Atlanta getting ready to play in one of the most prestigious bowls in college football. The Orange and Blue will cap off the turnaround season by making their first appearance in the New Year's Six, taking on familiar bowl foe Michigan at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Saturday. On today's show, we'll chat with the youngest member of the coaching staff, Christian Robinson, and find out how his Atlanta roots make this game particularly special. Then, we'll discuss the biggest matchups and the magnitude of this showdown with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But first, in addition to being in his inaugural season on the Gators staff, this is the first assistant coaching job that Christian Robinson has ever had. The former Georgia star had three stints as a grad assistant around the SEC to pay his dues, and now he's showing why Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham took a gamble on a 28-year-old only years removed from his playing days. We spoke with Christian about his path to coaching in the upcoming bowl game in his backyard, but began by finding out how he managed the recent whirlwind of bowl prep and the conclusion of the early signing period. Well, you know, it's, it kind of just goes right step with how life is
0: normally during the football season. you got so many things that you're focusing on and you learn to just multitask. And uh, the only thing was you went straight from the Florida State game, and the next day you're on the road recruiting. And and that is a, a very quick transition from being 100% football to every day 100% recruiting. And so um, it is hard, but at the same time, we have a great staff that keeps us organized. And, and we know at this point, going into that uh, December signing, who we really are targeting who we're trying to go after. So it's very uh, direct, and uh, it's not as hectic as it can be in the spring when you're trying to see a lot of – uh, schools and go watch practices.
1: Which recruits were you most instrumental in bringing in during this cycle, and what do you hope that they'll bring to the program? You know, just really focusing on uh,
0: my two inside linebackers. Those are the real guys that uh, I spent a lot of time invested in, uh, just communication-wise with their families and trying to show them why this was the best place for them and, and how they fit our system. Uh, Josiah Pierre and Tyron Hopper, those those two guys from the moment we got here were guys that we saw on tape that... Fit our system, and uh, we're, we're great people, and um, really excited about the Florida Gators. And so, from the beginning, that was where I kind of focused my time. And uh, obviously, anytime someone comes on campus,
1: we're all 100% into showing them why uh, University of Florida is so good. A lot of people may not know this, and you can't tell just from talking to you, but you are a very young guy. You're actually under 30 yeah. years old as a, as an assistant coach. Do you yeah. think that that your youth is an asset in recruiting? And if so, what impact does that have? I really do. And uh, just from a point of just
0: relating to people, um, these kids that we're bringing in, um, I'm, I found out today that uh, Voshan was born in 1997. I was born in 1990. So I'm seven years older than him. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's not too much older. And so I think uh, what I've learned from the first time I started being a GA uh, right after I got done playing was that I can have a relationship with my players, but they have to understand what I'm really trying to do. And that's to help them be the best they can be. And when it comes time to work, that what I'm saying is to help them. And and in order to be a good football player, they got to listen and be disciplined and execute. So um, being young and recruiting d- helps in relating. I, I know what they're doing. I, you know, a lot of kids are playing Fortnite. I, I live by myself here in Gainesville and I, <laughs> when I, when I'm not working and I got a, a spare second, I, I, I get on and play Fortnite a little bit. So that's kind of, you know, just the little things I do to relax, but that is, uh, just being able to understand what they're going through and especially playing for Coach Grantham. I played for Coach Grantham. He was mm-hmm. my coach and, uh, the defense that he's playing in was the same one I played in. So when I, a lot of times when I start my meetings like with new people, I say, hey, look, I can show you a clip of me messing up and mm-hmm. Coach Grantham coaching me. And when you come here to the University of Florida, you're going to get somebody that understands the exact role and situation you're put in. I think that is an asset when you walk into someone's house.
1: How often do some of the other coaches come to you for uh, maybe consultation on things that the kids are talking about these days, so to speak? I think sometimes I am a translator. Uh, we'll, be,
0: we'll, we'll be sitting around, and a, a kid will say something, and uh, you know, especially Coach Grantham. I feel like I've always been that for him. Even when I was playing, and, you know, something will be said, and he's like, just doesn't really understand what's going on just because of, just because of age. That's normal, you know. And, right. Um, and I kind of just clue him in, and you know, there'll be a laugh here or there. But that's kind of, you know, I'm being the young guy. Everybody kind of just points to me, and you know, like I'm a young guy still, and I have all these you know great things going on outside of work, but. I, when I get done, I'm exhausted just like they are too. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not
1: that uh, different from them. You're talking about recruiting and and what seals the deal with some of these guys. Taking it back for you, because as you noted, it wasn't that long ago. What do you mm-hmm. remember about your recruitment and what ultimately mattered to you the most? Anytime you're dealing with another person, it's it comes down to credibility and what you can help
0: them do for the rest of their life. And so. Um, when it comes to being recruited, they're looking for, I'm looking for a good situation and uh, where I can go and learn and be developed and molded. And uh, and it's more than just football, you know, and I think when somebody, when you walk into someone's home, like we just did for the past three weeks, uh, they can tell if you really care about them. They can tell if you really have the tools to help them be successful. And uh, I think when you sit down with parents, that's all they care about is, are you going to take care of my son? And I know that's what my dad wanted. And so when I walk in, That's one of the first issues I'm trying to address is that at the end of the day, football or not, I care about your son as a person and that I hope that he gets his degree. And that's what the main goal when he comes here along the way, we're going to be good at football. Mm -hmm. And I hope that when I sit down with that family, they understand those things is that he's going to get taken care of. I know what he's going through. I can sympathize with the things and uh, the obstacles that come in your way as a young student athlete at the University of Florida. And so uh, when you cover that and then you say, hey, look at the track record of football, see the people we've been around, see what this defense has done. Um, I think when you put those two things together and they know you care about them, it's a no-brainer. And when they're making a decision and and they understand that I know what they're looking for.
1: You mentioned Coach Grantham, so I'm sure he probably plays into this answer. But I'm curious, maybe outside of him, what other coaches you've had along the way that were most impactful on your coaching style? You know, really, it it
0: starts with my father. My dad was my coach growing up all but one year. And uh, when I was when that one year was a rough year, (laughs) because, you know, (laughs) one thing, one thing about a dad, especially my dad, is I knew that he cared about me all the time and he wanted the best for me. And I tell my my kids, I was like, I don't know how to do it any other way in that I'm going to coach you the way my dad coached me. So we, we have a relationship. I think if you ask my guys, they tell you that they feel like they can talk to me about things and just, we, we are closer in age, but they know I care. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, my dad taught me most of my football life. And, you know, what's weird now is I spent a lot of time. He's coaching in, uh, Georgia and, uh, I'm having to teach him some new things that I've learned. And that's been kind of a weird, weird situation. But along with my dad, it would be uh, Kirk Oliver Dotti, who's uh, the linebacker's coach for the Redskins. He mm-hmm. was my coach in college for, uh, Two seasons, and he really helped me uh, when I got hurt in college. Decide I wanted to coach, and um, I want to be like him in some of the ways that he interacted with us. And another coach, obviously Coach Grantham, and the opportunity he gave me to come here at the University of Florida. And we stayed in touch uh, when we weren't together, and when it came time to look for somebody, he he gave me this opportunity, and I'm forever thankful for that.
1: You mentioned getting hurt in college and that sort of changing your view. But still, if you talk about the guys that come in today, as you well know, pretty much everyone who who suits up in the SEC thinks that they're going to play in the NFL or play at some level professionally. How did you make the decision so quickly to shift to coaching and and give up on what I'm sure was was a dream for a long time?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, when I got hurt, kind of started with my mindset of of playing. I, I realized when I got hurt my junior year, I had all these things in front of me and I had these goals I wanted. And uh, when I broke my foot, it kind of changed. And I I realized that at the end of the day, I was not the same player I I, um, once was before. And so it kind of allowed me to say, hey, if this it it ends for everybody at some point. But right now it might end a little sooner than I thought. And um, what do I want to do? What am I passionate about after football? And, um, you know, I spent my whole life doing this and that's what I care about the most. And that's what I, I love doing. And so when I was hurt, I I said, Hey, I I realized I could help those other guys be better on the field. So I was kind of helping coach those guys along while I was hurt. And then, um, you know, when it came time, I went to the St. Louis Rams and Mm -hmm. for rookie mini camp and you know, you're sitting around there and you start to realize the numbers and you're like, I'm probably not going to be here, <laughs> you know, and just the the type of players that they have. And they drafted my teammate as a first rounder. I wasn't a first rounder. Right. <laughs> so I knew, um, hey, you know, the day that I didn't get a call back, I texted Coach Grantham and I said, Coach, I just got let go. I I don't know what I want to do, but I, I'd love the opportunity to come back and, and help out in some way. And he, within five minutes, he texted me back and said, hey, we'll, we'll take care of you. Come on back and uh, within a week and a half, I was helping learning how to be a GA. And that was a complete <laughs> world change from being a player where right. you leave right after practice and, and to being a coach and a GA where you're no longer, you know, kind of, I was being a senior, you, you kind of get to
1: the point that everybody knows you. And when you're a GA, you're in the back room trying to, trying to figure out how to help these guys be the best they can be. Well, then you, you took a, a GA route almost on a tour of the SEC because you started yeah. in Georgia, then you're mm-hmm. a GA at Ole Miss, then Mississippi mm-hmm. State, and then obviously you land here in your first full-time coaching position. What did you feel like you learned at each of those stops that prepared you for this moment? I believe that
0: anytime you, you enter a new situation, you meet new people, and you learn that there's different ways to do things. And uh, along the way, you start to pick up on Things you like, things you don't like, but mainly how to deal with people. And anytime you're dealing with a large group of people on a team, um, you're dealing with different personalities, different beliefs, and you just learn to adapt and try and get those guys motivated to play together. And leaving Georgia was a big step because it was completely different than anything I'd ever done before going to Ole Miss. And um, you know, away from home. I'd grown up in Georgia, I lived forty five minutes from Athens. Mm-hmm. And that's all I really ever knew. And, um, going to Mississippi, I was far away from home and I learned what I was passionate about. Um, I learned that this is what I want to do. And it, you know, being at Georgia, I kind of got comfortable when I got out of my comfort zone. You learn different ways of doing things, how to, how to help, uh, the coaches you're working for. And you find out that this is what you really want to do. And, you know, and then getting back with Coach Grantham at Mississippi State, that was just a great opportunity. And it felt like being back with the guy that, it taught me most of my football life. And, um, and then obviously coming here, I'd, I'd never imagined that he'd actually bring me, you know, I, I think, you know, I was like, being as young as I am, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get brought along. But, um, he was a man of his word and, and has given me a great opportunity to help each, this group that I have. And, um, I'm, like I said, I'm forever thankful for that.
1: What was the the sales pitch, if you will? Because obviously you've got the relationship with with Coach Grantham, but as you said, uh, it's a big leap to be in the position you are now at a place like Florida. So when you had a chance to talk to Coach Mullen and and present yourself, what was the case that you made that that you were the right guy for this job? I told him when it comes to doing this job, there's things that I don't know.
0: Um, There's things that I'm going to learn on the fly. And uh, he just told me – that hey the things you don't know you got to be ahead of issues before well, they happen. happen and I said when it comes to the football stuff I basically have been coaching the linebackers at Mississippi State under Coach Grantham as a GA mm-hmm. and it was when you get here you got to show separate yourself and show that you can um, get guys here to campus and and recruit that really meant showing that you could have the people that you're coaching buy in and believe in you as a person. And then, um, attract people in, to our university. And, and that was what I sold is that I, I know what these kids know and wanted, what they're wanting to do. And when it came to the football side, I knew that I had played in this defense and that I could articulate it with experience. And, uh, that's really what all I had to say.
1: And, um, and obviously Coach Grantham went on a, on a limb for me and gave me this great opportunity this question sort of in line with what you just said but in terms of learning on the fly and trying to adjust what did you feel like your biggest challenges were throughout your first season here and how did you ultimately overcome those
0: I think it was just being responsible for things that um, up in this point I'd been working under somebody so when you're a GA you're kind of running around just doing what you're told when you're told and uh, sometimes what you learn is to avoid issues before they happen when you're a coach issues happen and you're the first step you're the right. first uh, person <laughs> to find out about them and and so that was new for me and I realized that I had to take care of those kids issues and address them and and then obviously the recruiting piece uh, I had been out in the road before but I was out in a support role when we didn't have a full staff at Georgia so this was my first time walking in and, and selling myself mm-hmm. <laughs> selling myself in the <laughs> university of florida and so um you know, that was probably the biggest challenge because everybody else is just going and you can't stop and ask somebody for help a lot of times. So you just, you learn and you ask questions of, of the people that you, you can. But that was the hardest part, you know, is going on the road and learning to, uh, to just build those relationships with coaches. And, and that's a big deal. My, but I was lucky. My dad being a high school coach, I felt like I was sitting there talking to the people like I had my whole life. And so when you overcome that and you learn those things, um, I think it's a great opportunity uh, that Coach Mullen's given me. And I uh,
1: definitely learned on the fly, and I'm excited for the second year. I'm sure there were a lot of surreal moments throughout the year and you know, being on the sidelines in this spot. But I'm thinking specifically about Jacksonville, being a guy who mm-hmm. played at Georgia not that long ago. I mean, you played against Tim Tebow at Florida when you were at Georgia. So how mm-hmm. surreal was it being on the sidelines in Jacksonville wearing orange and blue instead of red and black? You know, up until uh, this year when I – been down there in Jacksonville, I only knew it one way and
0: as a play, as a player and as a, a GA at Georgia. So I really, it, up until this year, you know, playing Georgia didn't really phase me. Um, and then this year it was everybody wanted to hit me up. Everybody wanted to say something to me, right. everybody, you know, and so that was the hardest part was just, you know, having to hear people getting on you. But at the end of the day, I told them I'm always going to be loyal to people. And when I'm at the University of Florida, I, I spend every day with these kids and I'm a part of their family. And so when we go into battle, I don't want to beat anybody that's in front of us. And there's obviously always extra motivation when you're playing the team you played for, and that's just natural. Everybody knows that. I would be lying if I said it, I mm-hmm. didn't. And uh, but uh, it's definitely an exciting experience. And there were some plays that we had had in that game that um, really get, brought me great joy, and our and our players. And obviously, there's going forward, we want to continue to improve to where we can uh, win those games. And so I'm, um, you know, I, I know I'm going to hear about it from. The people back home anytime the Gators play the Dogs, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely all in for our players here.
1: When, when you look at the season on the whole, how do you feel like this team grew the most from where they started back in spring ball to where mm-hmm. they are today, and specifically then your unit as well?
0: Um, you know, looking at this team, I think when we first got here, they've been through some things. They've had different staffs. You know, you hear kids talk about different coaches that they've had along the way, and. Um, I think, like I said, when you walk into anybody's home as a recruit, they want to see credibility and that you care about them and that you're just not using them to move on. And so when we got here, they're they're feeling us out. You know, we're telling them they don't know who we are and we're telling them to run. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're chasing them around, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. And so they're trying to find out, is this person going to handle things the right way? And I think as the spring went on, they became confident that we knew what we we're talking about from a Uh, lifestyle standpoint and how to live life and the things they need to care about. And then you move in the season and when it really matters, can you help us become a good football team? And, uh, you know, with everything they've been through, as the season went on, I thought they began to get confident in things that we were doing. They they know what to expect every day of the week and how we're going to react to things. And um, when they see that we can be successful with the plans that we put in, I think that that just, helped us build it and for people to realize that they could be great and uh, as long as we keep building and g- gaining confidence and the, the more people that we bring in they're going to understand that what the Gator standard really means and how we can be successful under coach Mullen and the staff and so um I think it was bringing things back to how they used to be and coach Mullen said that there's a standard when you play here the standard is is you give your all for the guy next to you and for your university and I think that our kids really, really start to do that down the line and I'm excited to see what it happens when they have a year underneath us.
1: Which one of your linebackers do you feel like you saw the most improvement out of over the course of this year? I'd have to say uh Voshan Joseph.
0: Um I, I saw him you know, he's a, a very passionate player. He cares about playing this game and, you know, I think when I got here there was some things he just didn't know how to do or wasn't confident in. And I said, when I got here, it was like, hey, if you just trust me and do what I say, you'll see the results. And um I don't know everything, but I know how to execute what we're trying to do from a defensive standpoint. And so when he got here, you know, we, we work on the techniques that help him make plays. Um I think it was say, hey, this is what you're good at. We know you're good at that. But when you want to get better, you got to find the deficiencies. And continually work on those and try and improve. And um, I think early on in the season, he was like I said, our, people were trying to feel you out to see how you're going to handle things. And if you can really follow through with what you're telling them, as the year went on, you saw him start to understand what we're asking him to do and to continually give great effort. And I think I'm excited for him as a player to see how we finish this last game.
1: And, and I'm hoping that he does uh, have that great game that I know he can have. Couple final questions for you related to that game you're talking about. What does it mean for you to be bringing the Gators up to your hometown to play in a game like the the Peach Bowl that has so much tradition and is not too far down the road from you? Albeit, if there's not a lot of traffic, it's not too far down the road from Norcross.
0: <laughs> exactly. Anytime you're in Atlanta, it, it's always <laughs> about the traffic flow. But uh, you know, for me, being back, bringing this group back to where I'm from, um, I've been trying to paint that picture for them every day. Uh, you know, as a kid growing up in Georgia, you always dream, uh, when you're in, in Georgia playing in the dome for your playoff and championship game. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a big deal. It always is because there's, it, you have to be good to play there. They're not going to let anybody walk in that stadium. And, uh, now that, you know, they play in the Mercedes-Benz dome, um, I told him this is what they're playing the Super Bowl in this stadium. Mm-hmm. So you, you're going to be playing where guys that you want to be like are about to come in right after you. So, um, and playing in that stadium is obviously where they play the SEC championship, and we I want them to be used to playing in that place and that's what I, I want to paint that picture for them that this is the standard to play for championships and to go after those games and so we're trying to every day build that and just that's why you practice you're trying to take the things that you're you're doing and build to a certain point to when you can go out there and play on game day and uh, I'm just excited to bring them back home. It's a short trip on Sunday when we get there. I get to wake up a little later than maybe some other coaches do and <laughs> drive, drive from Athens. We're seeing my family down to, uh, Buckhead on a Sunday. Hopefully, hopefully it won't be too crowded down there on yeah, a Sunday.
1: Yeah. What stands out about this Michigan team on tape that, that you guys have been preparing for? I mean, when you, when you look for on, on, as a defense, um, the quarterback and the crazy thing about the quarterback
0: is I was at Ole Miss with him and he was my scout team quarterback. Wow. So, um, (laughs) it all comes full circle for you. It it really does. And that's what I I find out about life. It really goes full circle and to come back. And I've already talked to him just because we're, we're, I actually roomed with his brother when I was at Ole Miss. And so, so we've always talked and chatted and everything. And uh, I'm excited to go compete because I know what type of competitor he is and, um, to be a leader of that offense, you know, he's going to come out guns hot, ready to play. And that's what I've tried to tell our guys is I know who who we're going against and how he prepares and, and what he does. And so we have to prepare at that same level uh, to give ourselves an opportunity. So, um, you know, this team is big. they've got great skill guys. Uh, obviously they've recruited nationally, so they're getting great players from all over the country. And so we're trying to tell them that, Hey, we got to be on our A game and you got to care about every single play and every single rep of practice um, in order to be ready uh, to win a game like this.
1: Final question for you. You guys are well aware of uh, the momentum that the program is building, and you've seen it on the recruiting trail, and there's still more work to do there before February. How important is this game to keeping this forward momentum that you built up at the end of the season? Uh, this game is going to put us on
0: national stage at any time kids and families are watching, they're trying to see what the direction of your program is going. And so uh, going to playing at the fil a Peach Bowl, everybody's going to be watching at noon on the 29th. And so um, when we walk into parents' homes in January and go on the road in May recruiting, um, they're going to remember what they saw us do in that game. And that's what I tell our kids is, if you want the University of Florida to continue to get better and improve and to play for championships like it used to, uh, you have to compete and show on a national stage that you're going to be that type of team you attract the way that you play and so um, we're trying to look for the best so we have to play at our best and go execute and, and hopefully uh continue what we've done so far this year
1: well christian congratulations on a great first year coach in the gators and uh, I, I hope you enjoy this peach bowl experience it sounds like it's going to be very meaningful for you uh, it will I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing my team home to where i'm from so i'm, I'm excited Florida and Michigan have become well acquainted in recent years, and it certainly hasn't been a positive relationship for the Gators. As these teams prepare to meet again with Florida still seeking its first win in the series, we wanted to break down some of the biggest matchups and get answers on the pressing questions with Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But before getting to that, with National Signing Day still close in the rearview mirror, we began this week's roundtable by asking Scott which newly signed players he expects us to be talking about at this time a year from now.
2: always hard to project that i mean i think when you look at seven offensive linemen they sign some of those guys are going to be asked to play you know dan mullen referenced that uh you know he'd like to see a couple of these guys be ready at the end of spring going into summer and then fall to where they can get on the field next year and then you look at just town wise hammond from uh, lakeland high one of the three lakeland guys to commit on national t- tv the other day he's the one that's ranked the highest you know he's 6'4, 350 pounds. Obviously, probably going to work some of that 350 pounds off once he gets here gets more into uh, shape. But at the same time, he's, he's a big time prospect uh, in the middle of the line, uh, inside, interior of the guard. Keon Zipper, his teammate at Lakeland, a uh, tight end. We saw Kyle Pitts come in this year and make some contributions right away as a true freshman. Uh, he's another guy that they like a lot. And then the early enrollee among that group is, uh, you know, edge Rusher, Lloyd Summerall III of Lakeland. He's 6'5", 210. He's going to have to put some weight on. But they like everything about him as his potential on the edge uh, to maybe kind of fulfill a role like uh, Dakai Polite and Jabari Zaniga down the road. Still got some physical development to go to get to that point. But getting here early is is important for him and and you know the 20 guys they signed the other day 10 of them are going to be mid-year enrollees, so that means they're going to be on campus in january Uh, they're going to get acclimated not only to school and to start learning to live the college life and and kind of take care of themselves but they get into spring practice they get in the meetings they're going to get acclimated to the football side of it so by the time spring camp rolls around these guys should be at least able to get out there and get some quality reps. And then when fall camp opens, we'll see how they developed over the summer. And if you know you get 10 guys on early, we saw that last year with guys like Trey Dean, guys like Damian Pierce, two of the best freshmen in 2018 class. They got here early. It made a difference. Uh, they played a lot during the season. And I'm sure that Mullen and his staff hope some other guys from this class does the same.
1: You know, it's interesting too the way that sign day happening in December now, the early sign day, at least it kind of rolls right into bowl practice, which is when a lot of the players from the last signing class tend to have an opportunity to shine as you're kind of in that building for next year mode and seeing which players that are young are going to grow up quickly and and fill some important holes for you. So who who have been some of the players who have stood out to you during these bowl practices, especially those open practices that that fans had a chance to see?
2: I did watch Kyle Pitts, some who I referenced earlier, because you got to remember a tight end, the Gators are going to be losing. Siante Lewis, RJ Raymond, and Moral Stevens. Uh, so you got Kamore Gamble, you got Kyle Pitts there. Pitts, you know, he, he played some this year, caught a few passes, just a physically gifted player. The kind of tied in. That fits into the mold of the latest cycle of the tight end in college football. These guys, they're going back more to be a pass catchers instead of, Inline line blockers and, and Pitts is that kind of guy who can stretch it down the field and really help on an offense and I watched him I thought he looked good Iverson Clement the, the running back who didn't get much work this year behind Pierce and p Ride and Scarlett I, I saw him make a couple of nice runs at one of the, the uh, practices uh, that were open defensively you know, I mean, I mentioned Trey Dean. He, he's kind of out of that category now because we've seen so much of him. Mm. You can tell that they're priming him. I mean, when Marco Wilson comes back next year and, and C.J. Henderson, I mean, throw Trey Dean right in there. Man, that's three really good quality DBs you got back there next year. And, you know, up front, Adam, where they're going to be losing, you know, they're losing Martez Avi, potentially Jawan Taylor. They're losing Tyler Jordan. They're losing a, a bulk of their – experience on the offensive line you know christopher blight was a guy who came in last year he's been getting some extra work he's another guy that i think uh, you know you can look for next year to play a more prominent role uh richard garage another offensive lineman didn't play really this year but they're gonna have to rely on some of those guys dante lang uh, another tight end uh, so there, there's a lot of them. You, you you do watch those guys this time of year adam and you know it's hard to say what these guys can't really take anything out of, out of this time of year, but they did spend some extra time developing those guys to give them some extra reps because they know that's going to be very important for them and just their comfort zone when spring does roll around because they're going to have to be counted on
1: come fall. So, these bowl practices are leading into, of course, the Chick fil A Peach Bowl on December 29th, Florida and Michigan. And, Scott, you don't need a very long memory to remember some of these matchups, which have not gone well for Florida. Uh, take us through the, the history of the Wolverines and the Gators, especially some of those bowl games that have been in recent years.
2: Other than the season opener in 2017, that was a regular season game. I mean, the, the previous three meetings were all bowl games. And, uh, you know, these are two programs that have story traditions yet. Uh, The matchups are not going well for Florida, and they're going to try to uh, reverse that trend. But you know, the first time they met, Adam, it wasn't until 2003, believe it or not. Ron Zook was the Gators' coach. They met down in Tampa in the Outback Bowl uh, coming off the 2002 season, Zook's first year in charge of the program. And good game down there, but Michigan won it 38-30. Graham, I remember, had a couple of scores in the first half, and the Gators had the lead. Rex Grossman was the quarterback. But in the end, uh, the running back, Chris Perry, I don't know if you remember him, but yeah. he had 190 all-purpose yards, scored four touchdowns, mm. and Michigan wins at 38-30. Then they met again after this 2007 season, Tim Tebow's Heisman-winning season. They met in the Capital One Bowl down in Orlando. Again, a, a high-scoring game, but Michigan came out on top 41-35. got to remember, Dan Mullen was the offensive coordinator for that Gators mm. team. They almost gained 400 yards. Percy Harvin had 165 rushing yards, 77 receiving, two touchdowns. Uh, Gators were down 28-14, took a 35-31 lead late. Did uh, Chad Henney, that's a name that a lot of people will remember. He mm-hmm. won the MVP of the bowl game. Had it a, threw a touchdown pass to Adrian Erickson uh, late in the game, and that was the difference. And then, of course, the game, the few Gator fans want to remember was the, the bowl game after the 2015 season. The Buffalo Wild Wings, Citrus Bowl down in Orlando, Michigan just really hammered them. 41-7, to that was the first year of Jim Harbaugh, the first year of Jim McElwain. Uh, the Gators won that one, and then less than a, year, a little over a year later, a year and a half, they meet again in the season opener in Arlington, Texas. In 2017, Michigan takes it to them again, 33-17. And Jim Harbaugh is 2-0 against the Gators, going to try to make it 3-0 in the you know, in the Peach Bowl, but Dan Mullen, uh, he's going to try to change that. Just really, I mean, it's it's one of those matchups, Adam. You're right. When it was announced, it was like, man, a lot of people wanted to see UCF. A lot of people maybe wanted to see Florida, Virgi- uh, West Virginia, Will Greer. It turned out to be Florida, Michigan, and Atlanta. Uh, first time the Gators have been in the Peach Bowl since what 2004 Michigan's never been in the game. It's in the new stadium up in Atlanta Mercedes Benz Stadium. So I think as the game gets closer there's more interest there's but what we talked about earlier is just for Florida it's a chance to erase some bad history against Michigan to really you just go out the way that Dan Mullen wants to in his first season here.
1: Yeah in that 2004 game I remember Devin Hester returning a blocked field goal for a touchdown, and Miami uh, romped the Gators in that one. So certainly want to exercise some of the demons in the Peach Bowl and against Michigan, hopefully simultaneously uh, on the 29th.
2: Yeah, Florida's 0-2 all-time in the Peach Bowl, 0-4 all-time against Michigan. So, hey, uh, you got to figure it. Maybe it's (laughs) their (laughs) year.
1: What was the other Peach Bowl that, that Florida lost outside of the 2004?
2: They played against West Virginia uh, at the end of the 81 season oh wow, at uh, West Virginia, their quarterback at the time was a guy named Oliver Luck Huh. has a son who's a pretty good quarterback named Andrew Luck. You probably heard of him, right?
1: Yeah. I think I have heard of him a couple of times. Yeah. Wow.
2: The West Virginia dominated, they beat them 26 to six up in an old Atlanta Fulton County stadium. I, I actually watched a clip of that on YouTube the other day just to get a feel. It was a, kind of one of those dreary cold Atlanta days, snow flurries, uh, It was interesting to look back at that Wayne Peace quarterback in the Gators, but the offense just didn't
1: do anything that day. For both of you guys, what do you think are maybe some of the key matchups in this game and some of the players to watch?
2: The matchup I'm most interested in seeing is just how Florida's offense does against this Michigan defense that uh, statistically finished number one in the nation. And as we've seen uh, last season and in a bowl game a couple years ago, that has had Florida's number regardless of who's calling plays or playing quarterback uh, a huge test for Felipe Franks now the Gators are getting a break here because uh, Devin Bush the linebacker uh, player of the year he's not going to play in this bowl game that came out this week so you know you figure that's got to help Florida Uh, also they're missing a key player up front uh, the defensive tackle Gary so you're looking at two of the key players on that defense that really dominated during the regular season until that loss against Ohio State. They're not going to be there. Uh, And, you know, we talked a lot about Florida's offense of late. Aren't quite maybe fun and gun numbers, but certainly better than anything we've seen in recent years uh, in Dan Mullen's first season. Uh, So it's another chance for uh, that offense to go out and uh, finish the season strong, get a bowl win and do it against a defense that, you know, has to be somewhat just can't wait to get buck on the field after what happened in the lost Ohio state gave up what 62 points uh, more than 500, 600 yards. I mean, they, they just really got shredded. So, you know, they're going to at least mentally, you would think they would be eager to get back out there and show that that was kind of just one of those days that they can't quite explain, but to do that, they're going to have to do it. Like I said, without a couple of their key guys and, and it's going to be up to flip a Franks uh, to go out there and execute the plan. And for Florida's, offense do that I think he's just gonna have to do what he did against Florida State you know uh, stay away from big mistakes use the running game and then when the passing game offers some big plays take them and hit them
3: yeah Adam the last uh, few podcasts I've done a lot of before and after numbers and thrown them at you Mm -hmm. let's continue the tradition in the season of traditions you know I I mean Scott mentioned Felipe Franks the conversation almost begins and ends there because you know you go to last year's game you know it was his first career start Five of nine, 75 yards and got benched for the immortal Malik Zaire. (laughs) So um, we can start right there and say, where is Felipe Franks as a first time starter in a Jim McElwain offense against an excellent defense that was Michigan last year? A year later against another excellent, excellent defense, albeit with a few holes for um, players going to the pros, as Scott mentioned. You know, where are you now? Along those lines, I'll, I'll take it a step, a step further and say, where is Florida now, especially where's Florida psyche now, because I think we speak for everybody. When, when the Florida Michigan matchup was announced, people thought, ah, you know, I've kind of seen that recently. Okay. How excited are the Gators going to be for that? How excited are the Michigan Wolverines going to be for it at the same time? So, uh, I, I think there's obviously a newness, Florida versus Michigan for Dan Mullen and for his staff. Now, you know, they've done a great job getting their team ready to play, you know, throughout the season. And certainly the last, uh, last month of the season um, let's see how they can get these guys ready to play for obviously a game that could really give the team some momentum going in the offseason it's a year later a uh, Scott wrote a story that ran uh, last week about the whole difference Nick Savage has, has made in the program one year later you know that's going to play itself out in this bowl game and certainly in the in the weeks up to the bowl game in the preparation for the bowl game it certainly has played a part And so all that stuff is out there all that stuff will be on display But I think uh, in the spotlight, is firmly in the eyes of Felipe Franks. It has been all season. He knows that. Sometimes he's handled it better than others. That's okay. But uh, he's had, you know, three extra weeks of preparation with the quarterback whisperer that we think Dan Mullen is. Um, I think we'll also probably see some uh, Emory Jones, right?
2: Yeah, uh, Emory Jones. You're going to see some kind of plan for him. Uh, He's not just going to be a backup quarterback like he was against Florida State, only used, you know, if they really need him. I think you're going to see a series or two designed for him against that defense.
3: Going back to what I was saying before, just about the whole psyche and how psyched up and how excited the Gators are for this. I think the fact that a guy like Chauncey Gardner is sticking around for this game and has made it public that, you know, he's standing by his teammates and what have you. I think that speaks to what the game means to a a guy like that who certainly would have every right to be looking to his future because he certainly has a bright future at the next level. But he's not thinking about that right now. At least that's what he's that's what he's saying. And I think his actions are speaking to that, the fact that he's even going to play in the game.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure if you can take maybe a, a sample size like that and extrapolate it, but you can look at what Chauncey Gardner-Johnson said about this game and about playing in a bowl and then look at what Michigan's guys have done, some of the bigger names who are just not playing in it because they don't think it's important. So you, you hear the the term meaningless bowl game thrown around a lot now if it's not in the playoff. But it seems like for Florida, this is very meaningful. When you're trying to build a program the way that Dan Mullen is, and you've got some momentum, which the Gators generated against Florida State and throughout the year, th- this game is really important for Florida, it would seem, for that reason, building that narrative and continuing to drive it forward.
2: I agree totally, Adam. You know, it's a chance for a 10 win season, which, you know, they, it could be only their 15th in program history. Uh, and, you know, we know a lot of those came in the decade of the 90s. Uh, They've had a few since then, but not many this decade. I think only 2012 and 2015. So it would be a a chance to uh, kind of put a cherry on top Dan Bone's first season, get some of those Michigan losses past them in recent years, a chance to build on a good national signing day, a chance to build off the Florida State win. So you're right, the momentum is all right there for the Gators. And they even have it in the matchup to some degree in, in the fact that Michigan, you know, is coming off a big loss to the, its biggest rival. Uh, it's going to be without some of its uh, key players in this game. So Florida, you know, you think you look at it, they have at least on paper perception more to play for in this game. But again, you have to go out and execute. And that's what Dan Mullen and his staff are going to be stressing because this is a good team that we are going to play i mean michigan is going to be well coached and they've had their numbers so i still think the florida state win was going to be bigger than any bowl win whether it's this bowl or any other bowl the gators were going to play in but i think the circumstances you know facing the michigan again and and just all the uh, positive uh, momentum under Mullen, i think it, it would be a huge boost if they if they can finish with a win
1: Moving to our PAT for this week, uh, it is the holiday season, which means there's a lot of movies you'll see on uh, on TV that you've seen a million times, but sometimes you just want to watch them again. They never get old. So that leads me to this question as people enjoy the holidays with their families. What is your favorite holiday movie, the one that you can rewatch countless times and never get tired of it?
3: All right, well, let's put the parameters down here first because all I've seen on social media is debate on whether Die Hard is a, is a Christmas movie.
1: <laughs> At the roast of Bruce Willis, he said it, it was not a Christmas movie. So if he said it, then I guess we have to go with, with what he, he put out there.
3: You know, what's funny is that uh, in the 90s, when I was here covering the team for the Orlando Sentinel, there was a defensive tackle from Orlando by the name of Keith Council. And our uh, editor <laughs> dispatched us all to, just for the project we were doing to run on Christmas day. What is your favorite Christmas song, Christmas movie, whatever. And sure enough, I asked Keith council, uh, what's your favorite Christmas movie? He goes, he goes die hard, man. (laughs) And I looked at him and he goes die hard. He goes, it counts. They said, ho, 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 and everything. And <laughs> I, I think Keith Council may have been at the, the forebearer of this whole controversy because of something I wrote maybe in 1996 or 1977, but that's neither here nor there. You need to you need to go find that story and tweet it. That'll blow up for you. <laughs> it's just right. It <laughs> yeah. uh, the best holiday movie for me is uh, is It's a Wonderful Life. Obviously, I'm older uh, than probably a lot of people listening. So certainly older than you, Adam, you're still 12, right?
1: I, I turned 13 this year. It was a big year for okay. me.
3: Okay. Okay. So you'll probably pick Elf or something like that. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, um, I think the older you get, maybe the more sentimental you get with it. I mean – I I've read a little bit about like when it first came out. Frank Capra made it. It was panned by the critics. Not a very popular film, but now I think NBC runs it every every Christmas Eve. Any kind of movie that uh, kind of plays to your emotions in terms of of redemption, a chance to start over, you know, uh, atoning for mistakes and stuff like that. I think that kind of appeals to a lot of people and strikes a lot of people emotionally. And um, it's a bona fide Christmas film, obviously, and uh, it, it remains my number one i i have some other ones of course but uh i think that one to me is at least far and away and i never get i never get tired of watching it you know every line that's coming when it's coming and um at the same time it's it's one of those movies uh i think i could watch every year
2: well yeah, it's a tough one because you know chris mentioned elf <laughs> and see i've got three little ones man they, they've been watching elf like crazy i'm sure in the last couple of weeks and i kind of forgot how because I don't really remember what I think I was at that point where I probably wasn't watching too many Christmas movies when that came out. Uh, but it, it's cracked me up a little bit this year. Uh, but you know when I go back to what I remember when I was growing up, I was I think in high school when Home Alone came out. Yes, does that count?
1: That was gonna be my answer. Okay, ah.
2: cause if, if Home Alone counts, that's probably the one that I've seen the most. And you know it's it, I just like it. It's a silly comedy wrapped around the holidays. And I've actually, my kids have just watched it for the first time in the last couple weeks. So hmm. it's been added to their
1: rotation. So I
2: haven't watched it. That's fresh in my mind. But I thought that was, that was a great movie. It made Macaulay Culkin famous. I know that.
1: And I'll, I'll take it a step further for you because I, I was actually going to say Home Alone 2. I believe it's the case where the sequel is better than the original. Nothing quite like Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Never seen either one. Chris is... Wow. You've never seen either Home Alone?
3: No. <laughs> he's, he's still... Come on. The, home, home Alone.
1: The only thing worse than the fact you haven't seen Home Alone is the indignant way in which you answered that question as if there was something wrong for even asking it.
2: <laughs> Anything that came out before 82,
1: Chris
3: was written off After 82.
1: Home Alone. Well, after everyone wraps the holidays, I know Scott will be up in Atlanta. He'll be covering the team. Follow everything he's doing at FloridaGators.com and at Gators Scott. Chris will be back in Gainesville for Florida and Butler in the o on that same day. So follow Chris at Gators Chris for updates on that. And of course, we look forward to talking to both of you about more Gator sports as we enter the new year. So happy new year to both of you. And thank you for joining us as always. Right, thanks, Adam.
3: Happy holidays and happy new year to you, Adam.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Florida takes on Michigan in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl on Saturday at noon on ESPN and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next week to break down all the action in the bends, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Atlanta.